I just love our church, which means I want to see it grow. True? Yeah, because if you love the church, you've got a passion for the church. If you love Christ, then you've got to have a passion for what Christ is passionate about. And Christ is passionate about people. And he wants to see people saved and set free. He wants to see people brought into the kingdom of God. Amen? Yep, so with that thought, let's pray. Father, we thank you for today. We give you glory. We give you honor. We give you praise. And right now, Lord, we come together and fellowship and worship around your word. I pray that you would open our hearts to hear, to be inspired, and to be challenged. Lord, we thank you that your Holy Spirit will guide us in this. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> amen. Pastor Jamie last week shared I hear on uh, evangelism. Who was here? Yep. You remember he was talking a little bit about evangelism from John chapter 7? Yeah. Well, I want to just sort of continue on in a different vein, but still looking at this whole idea of evangelism uh, within the church. Now, I'm not going to teach you what evangelism is. I think most of us would understand that evangelism is sharing the gospel. I'm not going to teach you about that, but I want to teach us uh, the importance, in a sense, of why it's as, as a pastor and as a leader in your church, why it's important for the church to grasp and to join together behind this context of what um, evangelism is. So there is a task worthy to cost us our all. Amen? One in which we can truly devote our entire beings toward. It's not politics. It's not greater learning of knowledge. And it's not wealth or wealth acquisition, but it is in sharing the truth of Jesus Christ, winning souls for the kingdom of God. Second Chronicles, we started in the Old Testament today, we might as well pick up in the Old Testament. Second Chronicles 15.7 says this, But you, I think we've got to, yes we do, But you take courage, do not let your hands be weak, for your work shall be rewarded. There is a promise a reward to those who don't sit idle. Have you ever gone into a situation, may it be a, a job interview or going into a school for the very first time? Do you remember what it was like when you stepped from primary school into high school, the emotions of what you were feeling as you walked into that place? What about that job interview with the great big CEO and you wanted to step into that place and yet... You felt anxiety and you felt scared. You felt like you didn't have the right goods. You didn't have the, the things that you were going on. This is what it's like for me with evangelism. It's like every time I want to go and talk to someone about God, my emotions take over. Who's with me on that? Yeah? But there's a great task. There's a cause that we need to sow into. So therefore, some of us will, will be like, no, I've got to get over myself and I've got to go and share the gospel to people. But we find that's really hard. How do we do that? So we, we, we boil it all down to these little simple things like, I'll, I'll just, I'll just uh, share the gospel and if I have to, I'll, I'll use words. Uh, you know, you can't share the gospel fully and truly without bringing the word of Christ into the situation. You know, these sorts of things. I remember what it was like when I stepped from high school into the big world. Now, I'd been working for a long time, and yet I had to go for a job interview. And I was, I was really scared of meeting Mr. Miller. And he calls me in, and I, I go, Hello, sir, how are you? And he goes, G'day, Steve, how are you? I know you. And I'm like, Oh, here we go. 
He knows my dad. He knows my grandfather. And I remember what that was like. And I felt straight away my calmness return. Because we had rapport. And this was like with evangelism sometimes. When we've got rapport, we've sometimes got to trust that. And we've got to use that to the advantage of the message that we're trying to bring. So I'm getting a bit carried away there, but I want you to know that I, for one, and I hope you, in all of this, see the picture of your life, that you want to devote your entire life to the gospel, no matter how you feel. For some, it seems easy. For me, it definitely feels hard. Um, I remember the first time I ever cold shared the gospel. And it wasn't actually a long time ago. I, I, I don't remember a, the times when I was earlier and I'd tried and failed dismally. But I remember cold calling in the sense of just walking up to people in the mall and just saying, hey, I've got a message to share and just tell them the truth about Jesus. I remember how I felt and I remember how I felt after that when, when I was able to sit down with people and just talk to them for 10 or 15 minutes about the love of God. I remember the feeling that that was something that was, I'd achieved that was really good that day. Who's with me? Who's, who's done that before? Who's ever just stepped out there and said they got a message to share for someone and had a crack? Oh, you're all scared to just raise your hands in church. Is that right? Come on. It's all good. Um, have you ever wondered? I, I'm into war stuff, all right? I like watching war movies. And uh, it was Remembrance Day the other day, wasn't it? Uh, and while I was preparing this i was thinking through remembrance day and and uh, the scene out of saving private ryan came back to my thinking the scene at the start when they're heading up to omaha beach have you ever thought what it was like to crawl out of a ship that was safe in waters that wasn't under attack to get into an amphibious vessel to cruise on into the battlefield not knowing what you're about to go into yeah it's a task that really takes courage, isn't it? So just watch this for a minute. Might need some sound, guys.
Did that build the tension there? That's what it's like when we go, isn't it? You think about it. it, it doesn't, it's not like our, it's a life or death situation. But look at these guys. Look at the anxiety. It's becoming an, a, a physical emotion, a physical expression of their anxiety as they were vomiting. Uh, the tension, the stress, the, it was just built up. There was pressure from all sides. They were getting orders barked at them. They knew when that gate dropped that something was going to happen. They were either going to um, jump out or they were going to meet what Tom Hanks' character said, uh, a murder hole. You know, uh, there was heightened sensitivity. The fear that would have gripped them. So many men, so many men in that, in that state, they just crouched down and could not move because of the fear that was in their lives. And yet, what about their courage to even be there in the first place? Unknown consequences, yet a willingness to go, to line up, to fight for the cause. That's what it's like when it comes to sharing the gospel. We don't know the consequences when we go to tell our friends that Jesus is Lord. We don't know what's going to happen. We don't know if they're going to choose to accept that by faith and come into the kingdom or if they're going to reject us and hurt our feelings and, and turn their back on us. We might lose a friend or we might gain a brother or a sister. God has a special task, a, a purpose for each of us. And with that purpose comes the grace and empowerment to do it. It's his great gift, the Holy Spirit in and upon us to equip us to succeed even in the unknown i wanted to build the suspense because i want you to know that i feel that every time i go to share the gospel and i'm here this morning and i'm preaching the gospel to people but yet i remember what it was like when i was 18 years old 19 years old, 20 years old, young, didn't know much about the scriptures, didn't know much about God, but that he loved me and I wanted to tell people. And I let fear overcome and take hold of my life and take me out of the battle even before I went into it. You were chosen in the number of God's army. It is a task that is empowered by his Holy Spirit. I want to read to you from 1 Corinthians. It says in 1 Corinthians, Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Think about the war for a moment. As people went into battle, there had to be medical staff. There had to be doctors and nurses. There had to be hospitals set up. There had to be people staying back in the camp, cooking food for the people, cleaning showers and getting rid of the, the pots of the buckets from the toilets. People had to actually do that. And they were all working toward one common goal. Some of them might never have seen combat, but they would have seen their own combat in working, in, in sharing, in helping, in, in fixing up those who were wounded. Each one of us is a gift. And your gift might not be to just go out and tell people the gospel, cold call, like I was saying before. But you have a part to play in the battle that God's got us in. And God hasn't given us the gifts to do that. But it's pointless being in a, in a team unless you're all about the same cause. 
unless you're all about the same goal. Their goal was to win the war. What's our goal? Our goal is to see the kingdom come here and now on earth. As we share the gospel, as we share the love of God, people's lives are transformed. You were chosen in the number of God's army. We called to stand together. Second Chronicles, I'll read a little bit of this for us. Second Chronicles, it says in verse in chapter 14, it gives us the account, 14, 15, and 16, it gives us the account of King Asa of Judah. It's an interesting read. You should go and read it one day. It's a really interesting read. But in chapter two, uh, 14, verse 2 to 5, it says this, And Asa did what was good and right in the eyes of the Lord his God. That's a good thing to have written in the Bible about you, isn't it? Asa did right. He took away the foreign altars and the high places and broke down the pillars and cut down the Asherim and commanded Judah to seek the Lord, the God of their fathers, and to keep the law and the commandment. He also took out of all the cities of Judah the high places and the incense altars, and the kingdom had rest under him. That's pretty cool, isn't it? As king of Judah, one major responsibility was to govern righteously. Asa made some amazing progress, and as a result, there was peace in his land because he put God first. What would it be like if Australia was to put God first in our nation? Could there be peace amongst its citizens if we were to put God first? We stand to call, we're called to stand together. In verse 8, it says, And Asa had an army of 300,000 from Judah, armed with large shields and spears, and 280,000 men from Benjamin that carried shields and drew bows. All of these were mighty men of valor. Even though Asa had a time of peace, he still had to work on his army. He still had to bring troops into the fold. He had to train them. He had to equip them. He had to give them the tools of war that they needed to defend their borders. And that's what it's like when we're coming into church, isn't it? We're training and we're equipping. We're being given the Word of God to empower us and to show us who we are so that we can move out with great tools to be able to share with other people who don't know who they are. And God's amassing an army to stand together. I see this as the church. Sometimes we're in peacetime. Sometimes we're in battle mode. Across the, the, the globe, there's never a church. All the churches, if you look at them in one hit, there's never one church that's not being persecuted. Did I say that right? There's always a church that's being persecuted somewhere. It's probably a better way to put it. Somewhere. But you see, our weapons are not weapons like shields and swords and spears. Our weapons are prayer and the gospel and the word of God and, 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 and speaking in, our, in our, our, our spiritual language to God. You can read that if you like in Ephesians. What is the parallel wartime that Asa was in to today? Well, we need to equip and amass a huge army. The parallel is this. We're not to look at this so literally in that we should bear arms, but we are to look at this through the eyes of the new covenant and the gospel. 
We're to build a church that is prepared to engage for the war on souls because it is a battle out there. An impressive army that will raid the enemy's camp and snatch those from the flames who are perishing by the power of the gospel. You are each a vital part in this divine purpose. Look to your neighbor and say, you are part of God's plan. Now look to the other guy and say, I accept that in Jesus' name. Right? (laughs) Called to stand in rank and file and declare the goodness of our God. Isn't that a privilege? Evangelism is our means with weapons formed from the word of God and prayer. Look at King Asa. In times of peace, he still developed an army. Because one day, a bigger army will be on the horizon. Chapter 14 goes on and says, Zerah, the Ethiopian, came out against them with an army of a million men with 300 chariots and came as far as Marishah. A million troops. How many did we have before? 560,000. Half the size. This is the biggest army in the Old Testament. This is the biggest army that has been amassed in the Old Testament. This is Zerah. That's a big army. A million men. Imagine feeding that. A million men. Asa went out to meet him. And they drew up their lines of battle in the valley of Zephathah at Merishah. And Asa cried to the Lord his God, O Lord, there is none like you to help between the mighty and the weak. Help us, O Lord our God, for we rely on you. And in your name we have come against this multitude. O Lord, you are our God. Let not man prevail against you. So the Lord defeated the Ethiopians before Asa and before Judah, and the Ethiopians fled. Asa And the people who were with him pursued them as far as Gerar. And the Ethiopians fell until none remained alive. For they were broken before the Lord and his army. The men of Judah carried away very much spoil. That's verse 10 to verse 13. We are but 200 in a city of 20,000 people unsaved. We are but 200 in a city of 20,000 unsaved. We're amassing an army. I look at the youth team, for example. They're amassing a church. Within a church. They want to take high school after high school. Isn't that an honorable thing? That a, a group of 30 kids would want to pray for their high school and see their, their friends, their neighbors come to Christ. I look at a women's community that want to get together and not only hold fellowship, but they want to share the gospel. So they want to invite people to come in. I see a men's, they're starting to stir. They want to chip the edges off. As iron sharpens iron, they say, and they bang their shields together. Hoorah! You see, we break it down like that. And within that 20,000, there might be 6,000 men. There might be 6,000 women. And there could be 8,000 youth and children. It starts to look a little bit easier, doesn't it? We break it down even smaller and we have a high school of 540 and another high school of about 860. It looks even smaller, doesn't it? 
30 against 800 doesn't seem like a hard task when we've got God on our side. You see, that's what Asa told us. That's what Asa taught us in the prayer. God, let not man triumph over you. You see, we've got God on our side. We've got the Holy Spirit. And it says this a massive army of a million people, not one of them lived. They all fell under the power of the army of God and of his might. You see, this is something that is tangible in our lives as we think through what is it to belong in the kingdom of God? Is it okay to say that I am saved and all is good with me, therefore I will sit and be comfortable? Or is there a burden rising in our heart that says, no, it's great that I'm saved, but within me is a message that will see someone else saved and someone else saved and someone else saved. And if 80 people would hang on to that thought, 80 becomes 160 like that. And 160 becomes 320 like that. As people begin to fall under the mighty hand of God, but it's His grace that they encounter. It's His grace that they come to. They hear the message of the cross and they say, Woe is me, because I am a man who is undone. I am a man who is full of sin. And yet I need God in my life, because only God is mighty to save. And they believe in the message of Jesus Christ, that He would die upon a cross for them. And as He died upon that cross, we heard in communion, Lord, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. We do not have one who does not know what we go through, but we have a great counselor who has gone and been and through everything that we've gone through. His name is Jesus Christ. And when we get the message of Jesus Christ in our heart, we can no longer sit in the pew thinking that all is well with me and my soul. Because we start to get an understanding that there is a war raging around us and our neighbors are in, in that war perishing. And it's time we got in and engaged and believed that God was good. And if He is good, then He could use me and turn me into a vessel of worth as well. Gone are the days where we've got to sit back and say, Oh, woe is me, for I am a sinner and I am undone. Jesus paid that price. Now is the day that we give Him the credit for what He has done and we earn for Him the glory that is so befitting for His name. Gone are those days. Yes, you in your private time, Lord, I am a sinner. Yes, in your private time, Lord, forgive me because I can't do this without you. Grace me by your Spirit that I may achieve and overcome the battles in my life. But when you stand in file and rank, you stand with the, war, the, the weapons of your warfare and the flag over your head is the banner of the cross, Jesus Christ. This is what we're called to do. We are 200 in a city where there are 20,000 not saved. When we win this war, there is a, there is a, or as, let me backpedal that for a second. As we win this war, there is communities in our outlying areas that need the gospel as well. And as we win that war, as we continue one after the other, there is a state that needs the presence of God, the message of the kingdom. The message of the gospel. We are about 20, 200 in a city where 20,000 are not saved. What is our response? Do we run and cower in our buildings? Or do we do as Asa did and cry out to God? 
acknowledging our weakness and dependence upon him and move into position. Church, the time is now to rise up. Our victory awaits. A great harvest is to be reaped if only we would trust that God has given us everything that we need. Within this church, all of the gifts of God are active and present and need to be validated. Everything the Holy Spirit has for us is in action now. Do we believe that? It is time to overcome our fear and our anxieties, even our slothfulness, and take on the cause that is ours from the beginning. What is our response? Do we run and cower? Or do we invest faithfully into the message? Do we rise up and we take God's kingdom forward? Do we pray for this? Do we burn for the desire that people would be saved? Let's faithfully invest to win. Turn to Matthew chapter 25. I have a question. What stops us? We've got to see that we need to invest to win. I'll read this to you. It's a good passage. It's long. But it's a story worth reflecting upon in the view of evangelism. It says, Matthew 25, 14 to 30. For it will be like a man going on a journey. This is Jesus talking. Who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one. To each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once in other translations, immediately. But he went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also, who had the two talents, came forward, saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I have made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also, who had received the one talent, came forward saying, Master, I knew you were a hard man reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. I just want to reflect on that little statement for a moment. When we misunderstand God, when we operate out of a place of fear 
and not reverence is a difference. We actually become like this servant and we bury that which God has given us. So it's actually really important for us to come to understand the master and come to understand his heart. Because when we come to understand his heart, we don't throw false accusations like, I know that you're a harsh man reaping where you did not sow. It's, it's actually the lie of the devil. It's also what got Adam into a lot of trouble. The woman that you gave me caused me to eat. So he blames the woman, Eve, and he blames God for giving him Eve instead of taking on the responsibility that he was to outwork God's call in his life. Very subtle lie of the enemy right there. Okay? You've got to be careful that when we're checking our motives and we're checking what we believe about God. So I was afraid and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. Verse 26. But his master answered him, you wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. So Jesus is saying here, the master is actually accepting what he's saying about himself. Yep, okay, I do business in a harsh way. But if you knew that, then you should have went and done something about that. So he's not rebuking him for saying those things. He's saying, if you knew this, get into action. I would have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has will more be given. And he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. They're harsh words, aren't they, at the end? Now this is not going to be uh, opened up in an, in an expose in the sense that we could do this and we could, we could really open this up as a teaching. Or we could reflect on those last words and say, well, is that talking about this guy loses his salvation? Or is it talking about does he lose his reward? And I think it's the second, not the first. He loses his reward because if you go through the flames of testing and you lose everything that you've built with wood and straw, I reckon there would be weeping and gnashing of teeth because of the loss that you have suffered. Why didn't I do more? Why didn't I get involved in what God had given me? Why was I not a faithful steward of the good things of God? You know, we back all this up and say, there's going to be no tears in heaven. But let me say on that fateful day of judgment, if we go through those fires and we suffer loss, we will be sad. Well done, good and faithful servant is what leads me on. Is it what leads you on? Three things I want to pick up from this passage. As Jesus left, Jesus is the master. I want you to hear that. Jesus is the master. As Jesus left, he left the stewardship in the hands of his servants. Talking about us. Yes, we are his sons. Don't need to go there. But we are also his servants. As Jesus left, he did not leave us alone. That is our first point. In speaking of the Holy Spirit, I think I got it up here. We are not alone. 
In speaking of the Holy Spirit, Jesus says in Luke chapter 24, 49, And behold, I am sending you the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. You are not alone. You have the Spirit of the risen Christ with you and upon you. In you. He is the seal of your salvation. You are not alone. Acts 1.8, if you want to reflect on Acts 1.8. You will be my witnesses when the Spirit of God comes upon you. It's not a suggestion. It's an expectation. You will be my witnesses. So we are not alone. As Jesus the Master has left, let me say that there is an imminent return. Jesus is coming back. He is coming back. He promised that he would return. John 14, 1 to 4. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go and prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. Do you know the way to where Jesus is going? Maybe you're sitting here this morning and saying, what's Steve saying? What's he talking about? Do you know the way to where Jesus is? In the same passage, only a couple of verses later, Jesus says, I am the way. I am the truth. And I am the life. And no one goes to the Father except through me. Jesus was going to the Father. He told his disciples this. I am going to the Father. You cannot follow me in that time. But he says, if you want to know me and you receive that I am the way to the Father, that I am the truth about the Father, and I have the life that will get you into the Father, if you would believe this, and make it a reality in your life, and I become the Lord of your life, you too will come to the Father with me. Isn't that an interesting thing? As Jesus the Master left, there was a promise of his imminent return. Where are we? Are we prepared to meet the risen Christ? Are we in ourselves going to pass from this life to the next with joy of hearing the Lord say, well done, good and faithful? Or are we going to suffer loss? Are we going to suffer where we have to weep and gnash because of what we did not achieve here on this earth? Third thing. As Jesus the Master left, he gave gifts that we were to steward. As Jesus the Master left, he gave each person gifts. We are to be responsible to see our gifts invested and grown for the master's increase. This gift has the potential to multiply or at the very least to earn a small return if invested. Yet one servant was lazy and his reward was removed. What does this mean? Let me give you a very simple analogy in the terms of evangelism. God has given you a gift and with that gift comes the expectation that you invest that gift and to bring a reward. Through fear and 
intimidation and trembling and all of those things that you might fear, you carry a message of hope and of love and of joy and of peace and of the gospel that will separate people unto God. You carry a message that will see people set free. Do we invest that message with those who God leads us to so that there is a reward for those five talents? I think we should. I think we do. I think that's why we stay connected in a church. For those of you saying, but I, I, I'm not like that. I really don't like that. Let me say this. You may not be like that now. And that's okay because I was not like that once before myself. You say, share the gospel to me, I would run 100 miles. And I can't run. But what I did was I took that one talent and I invested it in with the banker. And for a small return, my investment grew. I think investing with the banker is saying, yes, God. I might not think or believe or know that I have the gifts that I need to share the gospel, but I'm going to invest myself into fellowship with Christ and getting to know who he is. So reading the word and prayer, and I'm going to invest myself into a body of Christ that's going to help me discover my gift and my talent, help me discover and unpack the word of God so that I too may get passionate about the gospel. And that would be your return. That would be as you invest, the interest coming back to you is this desire to want to grow, this desire to want to learn, this desire to want to partake. And as you serve within the body that God places you, let me say, one thing that I know about this church is when you start to serve, evangelism becomes contagious. You will start to get a heart for the king. And you'll start to get a heart for his people. And you'll start to get a heart to know that there are those who are perishing. So let me say this. Invest your one talent into the kingdom of God and you will see a reward. You will see a return. Matthew 25, 27, Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I should have received what was my own with interest. You're here today and you're doing that. You're investing yourself in, into your relationship with Christ, investing yourself into your, the body that he's placed you in. Let me say you will grow and you will start to hunger and you'll have a message to share with your friends. Take your talent and invest it for the king. The more we invest, the more we grow in our giftings and our talents, and the more we grow in our surrender to God. There's a key word there, our surrender to him. What would this church, I want you to ask this last question in concluding, what would our church look like? If we each overcame our anxieties and fears by looking into the face of Christ and not our own lack, what would this church look like if we got over the fear of people not liking us and we began to seek God in prayer, submitting to his lordship and empowerment and entrust the message to those that we care for? Sharing of salvation by faith through grace. Today, we have a very different battlefield. Evangelism is our means. 
The world is the fields, and the spoils of war is the advancement of the kingdom. I'm going to invite the music team to come. Evangelism is our means. I might have it up there, have I? What would we look like if we overcame our fears and our anxieties? What would we look like if we got into the face of God and the intimacy that God has given us through His Holy Spirit and His Son, Jesus Christ? What if we took it seriously that we've been called to win the lost with the gospel? Would we look very different? I think we would. I think we would.